0: Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. The following episode and message is sponsored by Mead Johnson Nutrition. In a world that is ever-evolving, your compassion never fades. Through all the triumphs and most difficult days, you never give up. You work tirelessly to make sure the most vulnerable babies receive the nutrition and care they need to grow and develop. You help set the stage for families on how to care for their premature newborns so when they go home, everyone has the resources they need to thrive. You may consider it just doing your job, but to the babies that need the most care, you are their greatest hero. From all of us at Infamil, thank you. Man believes in the equality of all human beings, despite race, gender, sexual identity, or creed. While we strive to care for all babies and families in the NICU equally, we cannot deny the data that shows race does play a role in the outcome and care patients receive in the NICU. Since the murder of George Floyd, the country has been forced to face the systemic racism that plagues our institutions. It has been impossible for NAN to remain silent on the inequality across the country and in our NICUs. NAN has dedicated itself to make diversity, equity, and inclusion a fundamental part of its strategic plan. Conversations on race inequality are sensitive and at times uncomfortable to have. This has not stopped NAN from providing nurses with the tools to start conversations in their own NICU. Having recently published a statement on racial disparity in the NICU, NAN is working to raise awareness of the disparities in healthcare and deliver recommendations for how nurses can combat inequalities in their units. Change is a journey that often starts with self-reflection and education. It requires a willingness to listen, engage in hard conversations, and make mistakes to ultimately learn and grow. NANCAST is proud to use its platform to help get the conversation on racial and health inequality started with our listeners as we strive to help create better outcomes for our patients and families. It's a great pleasure to welcome Joan Rickley, the current president of NAN. Today, we hope to get the conversation started on racial disparity and educate ourselves and research the direct impact our role as NICU nurses has on this and how you will bring about change. Let's get right into it. Hi, June, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today.
1: Thanks, it's great to be talking with you.
0: So tell us the story why you developed this position statement um, and Nan's recommendations on how to combat these inequalities and why it was so important for Nan not to remain silent.
1: You know, that's a really great question and it's not easy to answer. Uh, It's something that's been on my heart for many, many years, but uh, a lot of information came out in the uh, spring and summer last year, looking at racial disparities and outcomes in NICUs. Um, There was a a number of studies that were done out of the state of New York. Uh, Vermont Oxford Network did a a nice write-up as well. And uh, the more I read, the more I thought, Nan needs to have their voice heard in all of this, Um, being the voice of neonatal nursing and our desire to really impact nursing care of neonates across the country. It was important, I thought, for us as a board of directors and as an organization to talk about this in a sensitive way and to make sure that our members uh, know that we think that this is important and give them some some tools that they could use to have discussions in their own units. So um, I wrote an editorial that went out in one of our monthly newsletters uh, over the summer, uh, just outlining some of my thoughts about racial disparities and inequities in the NICU. Um, And then also our, our board of directors asked our advocacy group which is one of our divisions of NAND, to come up with a a formal position statement, and that was just recently released. Uh, So those two things have been a lot of the work that we've done so far this year, Um, but so much more needs to happen. Um, We had some discussion on this topic at our conference last year in Savannah, Georgia, and we are planning on having several discussions about this at our conference coming up this year as well, our virtual conference.
0: Yeah, and we all know that NAND isn't a political organization, but, you know, you can't help but make a statement on something that affects our health care of our babies and our families and our mothers on a daily basis. It's something that cannot be ignored. And, you know, I'm very proud to be a member of NAN that's willing to put themselves out there and make a position statement on such a sensitive topic that really needs to
1: come yeah. to the forefront now. Yeah, it really is a sensitive topic. And t- just as you said, NAND typically doesn't make political statements. We don't endorse candidates. We don't get out there and, and um, you know, do editorials very often on these types of topics. But this felt different. Um, this is something that we need to address in our NICUs. Um, and I think that too many of us have thought wasn't an issue at all. Uh, in discussions in in various settings, I've, I've heard nurses say, we treat every family and every baby the same. Um, you know, our quality is excellent and there's no racism here. And yet, if you look at the data across the country, that isn't true. So we're kidding ourselves. And we need to take our blinders off and to look at ourselves and to look at our practice and make sure that the care that we're providing for all families and all babies really is equitable and of the highest quality.
0: Yeah. Everybody
1: deserves to do well.
0: Exactly. And just, you know, putting this position statement out and the podcast out, let's hope this starts that conversation. And, you know, nurses talk about this and, and realize that there needs to be change. And it's something that we really need to look deep within ourselves and our coworkers and have those difficult, courageous conversations to bring about change and hopefully improve these outcomes of this very vulnerable population.
1: Absolutely true, I agree.
0: So you spoke a little bit about the research that's out there um, about racial disparities in the NICU. Can you tell us more about what that data was and what these researchers had found?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, there are a number of studies that demonstrate health disparities among preterm infants in NICUs. And there's lots of different causes, but three that I want to highlight for you. Um, there's an increased risk for preterm birth, and we think that that's partly due to a lack to access of prenatal care and interconception care, having pregnancies close together, and poor social determinants of health, such as things like the places that people live, work, play, worship all of those things can affect um, the preterm birth rate uh, because of the ongoing overlay of racism that happens in our our, uh, communities. There's also um, some data out there that shows that there's a lower quality of care for black infants as compared to white infants and that hospitals that deliver higher percentages of black infants often have a higher nurse-to-patient ratio Again, there are certain hospitals that are really located in areas that serve more of our um, black and Hispanic uh, pregnant women, and they don't always have the same kind of resources that you might see in other hospitals. So when you look at the data, you really do see some clustering of poor outcomes in these types of hospitals where there's not as many resources available, nursing or otherwise. And then there's socioeconomic disadvantages in infancy and in childhood that go on impacting the baby even and the family even after they go home. Uh, you know, long-term health outcomes are, are something that's being tracked. And uh, we know that ongoing lack of access to good nutrition, education, and even follow-up resources all impact how our babies do once they go home. Um, so those are all of concern. You know, the death rate is more than twice for black infants. The death rate for black infants is twice that of white or Hispanic infants. Uh, And that just can't be. You know, it's not twice our population. In many areas, um, it's a small percentage of our population. But the health outcomes are significantly worse.
0: So our nursing care is having a direct impact on this vulnerable population in the NICU and also as well as in their future and and the outcomes that they're going to have in the future with their families. What can we as nurses do to ensure that the quality of care that these patients are receiving is equal to that of the other babies that are on the unit?
1: You know, To start with, we have to look inside of ourselves and ask ourselves some really hard questions. We pride ourselves on taking great care of all babies, right? We don't feed a black baby slower than we feed a white baby. We don't delay antibiotics on one compared to the other. But think about this. If you don't have the same color skin or the same socioeconomic background as the family that you're caring for are you as likely to interact with them as much to have that caring relationship that you sometimes form with families? Is consistency in care going to be the same? If this is a family that you don't know or understand very well, how likely are you to sign up to be that baby's primary nurse? How likely are you to help that mom with breastfeeding? That fragmentation of care that sometimes happens unknowingly all contributes to outcomes. And so we need to think in our hearts, are we making sure that we're providing the same emotional care and consistency of care for all families in our unit? Or are we only caring for families in that way when they look like us or act like us? That's a hard question to ask ourselves, but I think it's an important one.
0: I agree. Um, It is our responsibility as nurses to check ourselves daily for any kind of, uh, unconscious biases that we may have towards our families and our, our, our patients. And, you know, that requires us to take a hard look at ourselves and, um, you know, have these conversations with ourselves and with the other people in our unit, um, because we want to be able to support our families, you know, and I see, I started, um, when we only had translator phones to talk to our parents that didn't speak English and how difficult it was to do any kind of discharge teaching via the translator phone. And now we have video iPads that we can easily teach. There's another person right there. And just seeing that, uh, how that is improving this discharge patient education. And we know that they are going to have better outcomes because the teaching was better. And, you know, those are the little things that we can do to really help um, hopefully decrease some of these um, inequalities and disparities that we are seeing, especially when they transition to home.
1: Sure. You know, there's a lot of tools out there now to help us identify unconscious bias and more and more hospitals are having those kinds of, of programs for their employees. So I would encourage our listeners to seek out that information, to look at themselves um, using some of these tools to really identify where they might have some some blind spots that they don't know that they have, and just to increase their self awareness. That it, even that is is making a difference. Oh, I yeah. think it's really important.
0: Yeah, we need to take the time to educate ourselves and to right. research the direct impact we have as nurses on these families and this baby's future. And by right. doing so, you know, hopefully we can bring upon change. And I always talk about how we are advocates. Nurses are advocates. And, you know, and I think we tend to forget that because um, we just are, are, you know, at the bedside doing our tasks, healing or trying to heal our patients. But we're, we're huge advocates. And You know, only one nurse does the legwork of trying to research and educate themselves. Maybe that can, you know, turf off to the next person and and to help, you know, people take that hard look at themselves and
1: be that change. Absolutely. You know, another thing that nurses can do is they can ask for the data for the outcomes in their unit. Um, More and more data is available down to individual races, in terms of what the outcomes are, not just birth rates, but mortality, morbidity. You know, what's the NEC rate? What's the chronic lung disease rate? Are those different uh, in the various various racial categories? Uh, You know, you're going to see some differences anyway, but you would think that the differences that you see in those rates would be similar to the, the, the rates that you see of each race in your community. What I mean is like if If we have a 20% black population in my city, I would expect that when I look at my data for my unit, that my prematurity rate would be 20% black and 80% other. Um, But do you know what your data is? Do you know if you even have a problem? So that's one thing that we can do is we can ask those questions and get that data and then figure out where are our gaps? What do we need to do? Um, and another thing, I and mean, you talked about accessing interpreters when caring for families that don't speak English, that is so important to do. Um, are we assessing families for social determinants of health? Do we know if parents have a place to live? Are they homeless? Are they in a very crowded home that they're sharing with multiple generations? Do they have access to good food? Do they have transportation to bring this baby back for clinic appointments? You know, so often we see success as getting a baby home out the door from the NICU, and that is just one small step. Our responsibility doesn't end there. We need to know what kind of community we're sending them into so that we can surround them with the supports that they need to be successful. And if we don't even know that they have a problem, how are we going to connect them with those supports? And that's not just a social worker's job. You know, that is nurses job as well. We need to know what our families need and to do everything we can to support them. Another thing that nurses can do is they can talk with their hospital administration. You know, what is their hospital doing in the community to try and address racism? What are they doing to make sure that there's adequate housing and food and transportation for all people? Um, And become advocates. Yeah, that's a little scary. You know, as nurses, we like to do our job and go home, but you know this is a huge societal, huge societal injustice that we need to address. Um, and you know I'm speaking to you as a white woman that is middle class that has a good living, and I don't have to worry about these kinds of things. But darn it, my community does have to worry, and I have a responsibility as a moral human being to speak up and to advocate. In any way that I can.
0: Exactly. We as nurses have a moral obligation to ensure that there's equal care and safety to everyone that steps foot in our NICU. So that's you know very important. Um, you know, I also think about the time when I had, you know, a family and a mother especially that was really struggling with their baby in the NICU, and we automatically want to think it's because maybe the diagnosis is very difficult. Um, or she's having difficulty coping with uh, being separated from her baby. Um, But very rarely do we think about um, how she's feeling as far as um, what we're talking about, racial inequality. Um, And, you know, it's not until someone had a really in-depth conversation with that mother did we realize that she was having a really difficult time with relating to the staff because she felt that there was nobody that looked like her. And she felt very uncomfortable about that. And, you know, that really opened up a lot of people's eyes because we were totally off on what we were thinking was the, you know, boundaries that she was facing. Um, and then once we had that conversation with her, um, we really got to the bottom of it. So, um, you know, what what do you think we could do um, as nurses to help kind of bridge that gap? We were talking about gaps, and that's definitely a gap that we're seeing. Um, right. So, what do you think, or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, we certainly need more diversity in terms of nursing um, in our NICUs, and probably in a lot of other areas as well. Um, sometimes that's easier said than done. But could we be reaching out to schools of nursing to recruit Black nurses, to re- recruit um, Hispanic nurses to our to our NICUs? Um, Could we be going out and talking to grade school and high school kids about um, careers in nursing? And if we haven't been able to recruit, there need to be other ways that we can help families feel comfortable. One thing I'm thinking about is can we connect former parents of NICU graduates with current ones and look for volunteers that are diverse? So you could have a Hispanic mom come in and um, interact and help support another Hispanic family. Um, there's there's no reason why we should only have white volunteers doing support activities, and I think that's often what we see. Um, again, you're going to have to get around those barriers of transportation and time and the effort that it takes to volunteer to support someone else, but that's definitely something to worth worth exploring. You know, I remember Paula Meyer talking about what she did uh, with the Mother's Milk Club at Rush, which is in in Chicago. Um, and they had a very high black population. And she got those moms to come back and volunteer to support other lactating moms in the NICU. And she did it by paying them and by providing transportation. And you know, she just made it possible for them. They wanted to give back They just needed the resources to be able to do so, Um, and they brought their babies with them, and they had grouped together, and um, if you listen to her talk about it, it's just an amazing thing, and those moms felt so supported because they were living the same experience as someone that they really related to, so that's another opportunity, not just trying to get more diversity within nursing itself, but also to try and draw on the communities to support the people that we have right now.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent idea and it's something that would really be empowering both to the mother and then the returning moms so that they can pass on their knowledge and you know their expertise that they learned and it's a it's a lot better of a learning experience for both people when they feel comfortable with who's teaching right. them. And you know the research shows that you know black mothers are having lower success rates for breastfeeding, so that's an excellent um, thing that a nurse could do or a hospital could do to really help help with that. Right. So we talked a lot about what we can do as nurses at the bedside in our NICUs, but what can, what is NAN doing internally to fight these biases and racial disparities that we're seeing?
1: It's a great question. Um, we've really started with having open discussion, looking at our own leadership structure within NAN. Uh, you know, last year we produced... Uh, A wonderful video celebrating neonatal nursing and we um, showed that at our conference and I was very proud of that a lot of it was uh, filmed right here in Grand Rapids in my hospital and we got some feedback afterward you know we're celebrating neonatal nursing but all the nurses were white and if you look at our board of directors and our NANUP council the majority are white what are we doing to try and increase diversity within our own leadership ranks? Um, you know, we um, solicit and, and then select uh, members for the council and for the board of directors based on competencies, uh, and those are very important, but we need to make sure that we also look at diversity. Uh, in our Emerging Leader program uh, that uh, we have been doing the last several years, that's another way we can grow leaders that have a variety of competencies, including cultural sensitivity and diversity. So we're looking at those things to try and make sure that we have a more balanced approach. And so our leaders look um, more like the populations that we serve. So it's, um, it, but yet, I mean, again, it's a challenge and you've got to grow into it, um, but at least we're talking about it. As a board of directors and a NANUP council this last um, Month we had a long discussion about our strategic plan for NAN and how we really wanted this topic of racial disparities in the NICU to be something that we focused on very heavily. And so we're going to do some concerted education around this for our board of directors and for the NANUP council, specifically around implicit bias. And we're going to bring a consultant in in as well to help us figure out what other things NAN as an organization can do to try and address racial disparities um, in the NICU and in our communities as a whole. So stay tuned for more coming. Um, We're still developing the plan, but it is on the top of our priority list.
0: That's great. And like you said, we're getting the conversation started. And, you know, it's the small step, but it's a small step in the right direction.
1: Absolutely. I agree.
0: Having heard and discussed Nan's position on racial disparities, let's dive deeper and have an open and candid conversation about how diversity, inclusion, and racism plays a role in nursing. It is with these conversations is what is going to spark change. It is my pleasure to welcome Nicole Dixon, nurse manager of maternity and NICU, to the episode to share her own personal story and experiences navigating the NICU world as a black woman and leader. Hi, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. With everything that's going on today, white people are just now waking up to what you have been experiencing your entire career. Can you tell us about your experiences and any microaggressions you faced while climbing the ladder in your nursing career? Um, I think that's a, that's a big question, a, a big question to answer. Um, but I think the easiest
2: place to start is just identifying that neonatal nursing was an option for me. Um, and, you know, getting exposure and knowing that that was a specialty of nursing was something that I, that I could accomplish or attain. Um, and then, um, you know, I can kind of share, you know, kind of how I got to that point. Um, in high school, there was a university that was maybe about 100 miles or so away from my high school that had a, um, a summer immersion program for a week-long program for health careers. And as a part of their program, they took you on tours to various facilities. And one of the facilities was uh, Mount Sinai in New York. Um, And they took us into their NICU. And at 16, I was in love. It was done right there. Um, And so I say that to say having the exposure um, as a minority to the different specialties was something that was, you know, pivotal in my career. I always knew I wanted to be a nurse. Like, that was not a question. But the specialty and the options was something that I really hadn't um, thought about specifically until that point. Um, And so the exposure is one thing. Um, and then, you know, actually getting hired is a whole other thing, um, you know, um, making the right choices. So having some sort of a mentor um, in undergrad, um, I had two great mentors um, in my junior and senior year. Um, that saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Um, and so I participated in like the student nurse leadership organization in college and um, was a treasurer like of that organization for two years and, you know, did some other things. Um, but they kind of pushed me along as well. And we talked about grad school and things like that. Um, so something that some people, I don't know, maybe the millennials know, right. But some people, you're not necessarily at, um, 20 years old, always thinking about grad school. Um, so kind of put those ideas into my head. So again, the exposure, the mentor, um, and then I would say probably in my first role, the biggest, maybe most shocking thing to me is that there were not many uh, people that looked like me. Um, and so, um, If it's something that you have not experienced, it's something that you don't necessarily recognize. And so um, I come from a very urban area, from New York City, from lots of cultures, you know, religions, race, lots of diversity. So um, coming then to a facility in New York that wasn't um, that diverse in that specialty, hospital was very diverse, um, was eye opening to me. Um, And I would say then when I went on to day shift, particularly our day shift, um, it was less diverse, which was, again, more interesting um, to me. So um, combating things like that, I think, again, it starts with exposure to the specialty. Um, I have heard since becoming a leader, um, a lot of uh, new grads just saying how hard it is to get into the NICU. Um, Mm. And, um, you know, how do we kind of bridge that gap um, for those nurses? Um, So... Again, you know, transitioning from New York to Charlotte, um, I will say that, again, in another NICU, um, same situation. Um, I was, when I started working staff there, I was the only African-American, only minority in the entire NICU um, on both days in my show. Um, and so, again, um, for the patient population that we serve, we do serve a quite of diverse um, patient population. Um, I think it is important to have providers, um, doctors, nurse practitioners that are diver- diverse as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it does definitely, it's something unsaid, but it does help with trust relationships. Um, you know, maybe some experiences I connect, I cannot connect. I, I cannot tell you how many people I connect with, um, on both the labor unit and in the NICU because I live in the South, but I'm a Northerner and we're everywhere. New Yorkers <laughs> are everywhere. <laughs> so that's like one of my biggest connections with my patients. Um, and their visitors and families, and it's something about that, oh, you know, you're from Queens, oh, you're from Brooklyn, or, you know, whatever that kind of brings on home. So it's, it's more than a familiar face or skin tone. It's also the experience. Hmm. Um, um, and so, again, I think that is important and sometimes can be lost uh, in the hiring process. Um, how do we seek, um, actively seek and engage, um, on the, um, collegiate level, as far as recruitment and HR, that is not something that is, that's not something that I'm, you know, familiar with as far as the recruitment process that way, you know, by the time it gets to me, it gets to me and I have my pool to pick from, um, but are we selecting diverse, you know, schools and things like that to recruit mm-hmm. from, um, is another, you know, thought or option. Um, so there are lots of ways in which, you know, we kind of can kind of correct or fix or work on um, these opportunities. Um I the, the one thing that comes to mind to me is um, you know, um lactation consultants. Like so breastfeeding is, you know, something that um depending on where you come from is taboo. Um you may not have that support system at home that supports your choice. Um, you know, whatever, you know, working situation you have may not allow for a a long, um, you know, breastfeeding situation. Um, But if you have someone that is of your age range, that looks like you, that successfully done that, you may think, okay, you understand that I have two jobs and, you know, I have to do X, Y, Z um, and what some of my challenges are and kind of meet them where they are. Um, So I think it's, again, representation is important um, across the board for um, the specialty that we're in.
1: Nicole, one thing I was wondering as you were talking, you said when you went to Charlotte that you were the only African-American on both day and night shift. Mm-hmm. How did you go about feeling at home there? And obviously, you've been there for a long time now. You're the leader now. Right. We, one thing we've struggled with in my unit as well, It you know we have 320 nurses, and three of them are African-American. Mm-hmm. And yet 10% of the patients that we serve are African-American. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get a lot of turnover of any of our minority nurses because they just don't feel like there's anybody like them. They don't have a peer group. Right. Um, so um, what, what strategies did you use? How'd you approach Um, that?
2: So I think for me, it was a little bit unique because I was not, um, um, a newer nurse. i had already had a, a leadership role prior to going back to the bedside. Um, and so I think to be, to be 100% you know, frank with me, I think the fact that I came from a major metropolitan city um, is what kind of helped me through that because I was used to all of the diversity and I took it as, a, um, as an opportunity to um, share my experiences with the team that I worked with as opposed to looking at it as, as a barrier. Um, I don't think you know, they treated me any differently. Um, you know, I think we all got along very well um, I don't think at the time I was, um, by any means comfortable, you know, uh, having conversations with the leadership team about the obvious. Um, but, um, I think for me just being that voice and that face, um, it was something of comfort. I felt like I was, at least I was there for the families, you know, that were there. Right. Um, I would say maybe I would, try and have a, um, provide them with a different perspective of things, um, you know, when conversations arose, um, but it, well, I wouldn't say it was necessarily, necessarily a negative feeling experience. I mean, I, I definitely would say that, um, I can give you an example, there was a, a time that we had a family that was of Caribbean descent, and the dad had an accent, you know, nothing, you know, but he had an accent, and I remember the nurse that I was working with that time being, you know, just very frustrated because she couldn't understand what he was saying, She's like, I don't know. He's not speaking English. You know, I don't know what he's talking. Unless he's talking French or something like that. And I took that opportunity to say, well, no, actually, you know, he's Jamaican. um, And he's, you know, just speaking a dialect. And here's what he said and, you know, how we can move forward from that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of eye-opening for me. But again, I just used that opportunity to kind of educate that teammate on, you know, their cultural background and and how to kind of how to move forward.
1: So was it on you then to reach out to your co-workers and your leadership team to try and bring that different perspective or did people ever ask you you know what's it like for you and what's your viewpoint
2: no they didn't ask me Uh, I wouldn't say that they asked me Um, definitely not from a leadership uh, perspective um, nor from staff I think I took it upon myself when I saw situations where I felt that I needed to intervene Um, Mm -hmm. you know um, by no means you know, did I feel like I had to be the spokesperson because I'm one person. Um, but, um, I I did intervene when I felt what I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so in the, the climate that we have right now where people are really starting to talk more, Mm -hmm. um, what advice would you have for a white NICU nurse who's working with an African-American NICU nurse should she open up a conversation about race or is, is that uncomfortable? Is that, because I, 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 I've never personally mm-hmm. until recently done that because I mm-hmm. just felt like it wasn't
2: right.
1: natural or, or that, so, I had that kind of relationship.
2: So I think it does, um, I'm, you know, can be, can be completely frank. I think it does depend on the type of relationship you have with the person you're trying to start the conversation with. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to gauge comfort, um, appropriateness of time. Is this, you know, at work conversation, is this something that you have, you know, outside of work, you know, if you guys have that sort of relationship, I do think you need to, in some ways, uh, or form, um, just ask and make sure it's okay. Um, because it should never come from a place of, um, like inquiry is fine, but again, that particular person is not a spokesperson for all people. Right. Um. And so sometimes it can feel heavy, um, being the only um because you feel like you're representing everyone, but you really
1: aren't. Right. Um, I hear you.
2: So I say definitely um be willing to listen if they want to share something with you. Um. But you know, ask like, is now a good time? You know, I had a question about so and so. What are your thoughts about this? Um. And then be respectful of their response. Um. But I think dialogue, and then the willingness to listen, is the only way we're gonna right. you know kind of move forward. Right.
0: Yeah, I think it makes you kind of question what you know and what you bring to light, what you don't know, and right. you know, hopefully, you kind of think things differently. And and you know, you were talking about how you brought a new perspective to some of the nurses that you worked with when you mm-hmm. well, you know, moved out of New York into a less diverse um, mm-hmm. you know role um, in that NICU. So I think sometimes you know having those uncomfortable conversations, you know, are is okay. Um, and it's just that, you know, that's where you're going to spark change, you know, during those comfortable, uncomfortable conversations. And as long as everybody can learn something from it, that's, that's the most important.
2: Right. Take I, I mean, I think it, I, I agree a hundred percent with you. I think it definitely takes, um, there going to be some level of un, un, uncomfortableness because it's something new, right? It's kind of like, I don't want to say the elephant in the room, but it is. Right. Something something new for all of us, and we're not sure how to tread. But I think uh, being silent is probably the worst thing that we can do because we now we have the climate to begin these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage um, those from you know other backgrounds or races to read um, and to you know at least start by educating themselves to then have the conversation, um, as opposed to expecting the other party to. Provide all of the education, if that makes sense. Um, so you guys can kind of, kind of, kind of both meet somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. um, to Just some degree.
1: Um, but yeah, and that's one thing that we're trying at NAN to do as well. Um, we've got a, a major goal for this next year to try and get tools in the hands of neonatal nurses to be able to not only look at their own implicit bias, um, but also to sensitively care for families that may be different than themselves, um, mm-hmm. and to to be brave enough to be outside of their comfort zone, and make sure that the care that we're providing every family is is of the highest quality. Um, I think people just don't you know they've got good intentions but don't know what to do. Um, so um, we're really trying to figure out what's Nan's place in this in the conversation. Um, we're looking at employing some consultants um, to really help us with this to get some educational materials out there
2: that is, that's awesome yeah that's awesome I know um, on an institution level Joan um, you know pretty much every you know facility has a, a chief diversity and inclusion officer right. um, and I can sp- speak for you know my experience they have um, we've always had an annual diversity conference um, you know we have modules they're putting forth some additional education. So I think, you know, encouraging, you know, um, nurses to seek out some of those resources to learn about different cultures.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, um, you know, we're talking, you know, primarily now about African-Americans, but at my facility, we serve a large Indian population oh. and there are some cultural um, cultural norms for them that are different than us um, sure. here. And so I think for us at our facility, that's another, you know, kind of, a way to open the, the door to make sure that we're caring for that patient population, um, in a, in a respectful manner as well. Cause some of their customs, um, are ones we're not familiar with, um, mm-hmm. as well. So, um, I just think there are a lot of resources that we have to tap into and do some work, um, to make sure that we're kind of moving to that next level.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense.
0: So, Nicole, as a a leader in your unit um, and multiple units at that, um, how do you plan on educating your staff and kind of making them aware of any unconscious biases that they may have, um, you know, regarding racial disparity in the NICU and the delivery room?
2: Well, I think one uh, great way to start conversation is to utilize journal clubs um, or like, for example, in my facility, we have uh, an education, excuse me, an education council in the NICU. Um, Utilize the articles that support or show the disparities um, in care and resources um, and some of the, you know, some of the reasons why these disparities occur. I think it's a great opportunity to um, engage in conversation. Um, and it's a great way for us to also um, start to discuss how maybe some of our biases impact the care that we provide or the care in general um, that um, minorities receive in healthcare. So I think that's a great segue um, to help bring to light
1: some of the challenges. One thing that Nan is thinking about is this concept of allyship, like being an ally of someone. It's a new term for me, but um, there was a recent TED Talk that was shared with me that talks about how this is one thing that um, white nurses can do um, in their units to help support not only African-American nurses or families, but really anybody who might be um, facing challenges becoming an ally and speaking up. When they see something that doesn't just seem right, uh, instead of staying silent or turning away. Um, and we're very interested in uh, developing a format where we can have some conversations, maybe watch this TED talk together virtually, and then have like a conversation circle where we can talk about how can we bring this to our unit, how can we use this to open up discussion in ways that. You know, everybody wants to do something to make it better, but we sometimes don't know what to do. And this is something that might give us a way to um, to take action instead of just have words. That sounds phenomenal.
0: I think everybody wants to to do right and and be right, and especially now we can take this climate that we have of change. And, and go forward and start having these uncomfortable conversations and learn from them. Like Nicole said, like, find somebody that you feel comfortable having these conversations and learn from them. And that's, you know, our hope with the podcast and having, you know, Nicole on so we can have an open discussion and hopefully we can use what we learn to spark conversation and we can bring this to our units and educate our staff and the other nurses that we work with to bring change and ultimately improve outcomes for the, these babies that we love and care for you know, every day.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's important work. It's really central to, to what we are as, as human beings and as nurses. And I can't think of anything more important for Nan to take on in the next couple of years and really forever, to try and address this and make sure that the care that we provide is the absolute best in every way that it can be.
0: Exactly. And and it, it is uncomfortable at times. And, you know, sometimes we are going to say the wrong thing, but, you know, we have to have that happen in order to create change. Um, you know, I, I, there's a quote that I've always seen that says, there's no shame in being wrong, only refusing to learn. And I, I think that speaks volumes, especially to the, to the climate now. Um, we really need to, to come together and, and create change. It really, you know, boils down
2: to, um, you know, people wanting to be heard, people wanting to feel respected, um, valued, um. Uh, I can tell you as a uh, a healthcare provider, but you know, also as a healthcare consumer, the hardest part of you know going to see a doctor is to make sure that you're selecting someone that's actually listening to you, mm-hmm. um, because you know um, what's going on with your body the best. Um, and so, I think for the the families and the pa- and the parents in the NICU, um, knowing that that nurse or that NP or that provider um, is their partner um and their advocate for their baby um and you know has a perspective of where they're coming from um allows them to be open to discussion and decisions and allows you to teach them better um uh you know they want to build that partnership it you know it will enhance you know follow up appointments and therapy appointments and you know neonatal developmental cl- clinic follow ups and so all of these conversations it's not just for you know um, staff relationships it's also for outcomes mm-hmm. um and so I think these are all building blocks to you know, get us to what we ultimately want. And that's the best outcomes for these babies.
0: Um, thanks so much, Joan and Nicole, for joining me today and being vulnerable and sharing your perspectives and experiences. Um, it's really helpful for all of us to hear. And I really hope we can all take this um, and spark change. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.